Thanks be to God. All right, we're, we're going to come to the woman thing, but we're going to get there a little bit later. Um, I, I, I want to begin by just thinking a little bit about to whom this section of the letter is written. So, uh, I, I think it would be very easy to read this passage and think that it is a message to people who have, like, amazing spiritual gifts. So, um, people that have um, done prophecy or speaking in tongues, it's relevant for them, but really not for the rest of us. Or we might say, oh, this is a chapter that's relevant for pastors. Maybe there's some connection between preaching and prophesying, and so maybe um, this is a thing that's relevant just for the pastor. Or maybe this is a passage that's relevant really for theologians who can think and debate about all these topics, but not really applicable to me. But I want you to notice how Paul begins and ends this chapter. Remember that his audience is not the church. I'm sorry, his audience is not the pastor of the church at Corinth because there's no such thing. His audience is all of the members. And he begins in chapter 14, verse 1, by saying, Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And he ends with verse 39, So, my friends, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things uh, should be done decently and in order. Paul begins and ends this chapter with the same instruction to all the people in the church, which is, I want all of you to strive particularly to prophesy. So, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means this morning. What does it mean to prophesy? Um, But I want to suggest right off the bat uh, that prophecy is simply speaking a message for God. Prophecy is speaking a message for God. And so, often prophecy might be less dramatic than we are inclined to think about it. And sometimes prophecy can be as simple as giving somebody a Bible verse, right? A Bible verse is a message from God, and when I give it to you, I can be doing a form of prophecy. However, um, you may recognize even that is not as easy as it sounds. So, I I came across a story recently uh, by um, one of my comedians, my favorite comedians, a guy named Tim Hawkins, who tells an account of sharing his favorite Bible verse after one of his performances. And I just want to play that clip for you. They said, well, we're going to let some people in and we want you to sign autographs. And I said, okay, I can do that. And uh, they did. They opened the door, like 100 people line up at that table for my autograph. I'm like, oh, sweet. I felt pretty good about myself. The first lady in the line, she walks up to me and she goes, would you put your favorite Bible verse under your name for me? Just your name and then put your favorite Bible verse under your name. Did you do that? I'm like, okay. Um, sure. Well, my favorite Bible verse is Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. That was my favorite verse. But that night, I forgot the verse. I just blanked on it. You know how sometimes, you, you know? Like, sir, when you dress today. You know what I'm talking about? It's like your brain isn't... Yeah, it's just not working. So I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, it's it's Psalms something. I got to pick something. And I said, oh, I'll just have to make up a verse here. So I did. I picked Psalm Psalm 38, verse 7. Just picked it out of thin air. Psalm 38, 7. Okay, I did it. Like an idiot, I did them all that way. Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38, 7. Hope you enjoyed the show. So I'm driving home that night. I'm like, oh, Lord, I hope that was a good verse. 
Oh, Lord, could you change the scripture if it's not just for one night? But he did not hear my prayer. So I get home and I look up Psalm 38, verse 7. And to my horror, it says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Oh, yuck it up. Thanks for the help. <laughs> what are there, a billion verses in the Bible, and I chose that one? And I signed it a hundred times and sent it out in my own little mission field. Go! Take the word! Don't forget my loin problem! Build schools and hospitals! Don't forget my loin disease! Never going to see that verse cross-stitched on a pillow. <laughs> okay. Uh, true story. If you're interested in uh, Psalm 38.7, feel free to look it up on, yourself, on, on your own later. Uh, so here's what I think. I think very often when we are called to speak on God's behalf, we are terrified because we think we're going to get it wrong, right? And there's all kinds of ways of getting it wrong. That's a particularly dramatic way to get it wrong. Um, but I think all of us are worried, uh, and that fear that we're going to get it wrong when we're speaking on God's behalf sometimes leads us to not speak at all. Uh, and so I, I come back to Paul's instruction to strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. And I think perhaps Paul wants us to recognize uh, that we are going to get it wrong, that you will not always speak perfectly for God, but we strive for it. We work at it. We try to grow in this gift of God. Okay, well, we're going to come back to, to prophecy in just a minute, but before we do that, we need to take a, a brief uh, excursus and talk about speaking in tongues. Okay, because we had a lot of speaking in tongues in this chapter. Paul is explicitly comparing these two ideas of prophesy and, uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues. And I think for most of us, at least in the Presbyterian tradition, speaking in tongues is something very foreign. So uh, in, the, uh, in the theological world, we call speaking in tongues glossolalia. That's a fun word to say. Everybody say glossolalia. Glossolalia. Yeah, great. So glossolalia comes from the Greek word glossé, which is the word here meaning to speak in tongues. And in the Bible, there are three forms of glossolalia or speaking in tongues. The least common form shows up in Acts chapter 2 when the apostles are in an upper room and the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they start speaking in other languages. They're speaking in other human languages that they don't naturally know. If I was to be on stage today and begin speaking in French, it would be that kind of glossolalia. I don't know any French. It would take the Holy Spirit's power to make me speak French right now okay? Um, we don't see that show up very many times in Scripture. It does happen, but not very often. The second form of glossolalia, the much more common form, is what Paul calls speaking in the tongues of angels. Remember in chapter 13, he said, if I speak in the tongues of angels or of men, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Speaking in the tongues of angels is usually the speaking in tongues to which Paul's referring, and it just means speaking in a way that sounds like nonsense to everybody else. The uh, unique component of speaking in the tongues of angels is that even the speaker does not ordinarily know what they're saying, right? So even the speaker feels like they're speaking in a way that's unintelligible. The third kind of speaking in tongues 
in the Bible is what Paul calls interpreting. And so um, there might be in the early church someone who spoke in tongues and a, a language of angels that just doesn't make any sense, and then someone else in the room who interpreted what that person was saying so that that person and everybody else could understand what was going on. Okay? Those are the, the three forms of, of glossolalia we had in Scripture. Um, it's also helpful to recognize that while that all sounds very unusual to us, in the ancient world, this was not as unusual. In fact, there are a number of Greco-Roman religions for whom this was a well-known spiritual practice. So you might have gone to a temple of some pagan god back in the day, and it would not have been completely uncommon to have some worshiper of that god start speaking in sort of nonsensical-sounding outbursts or repetitive nonsense syllables. So, the question for us uh, briefly, because this is not where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, uh, is well, what's that all about and what do we do with it? And, and I want to suggest that um, Paul, actually, it's not me, Paul suggests that this is a good gift that we should all strive for, right? That he would love for all of us to speak in tongues. Um, however, Paul's pretty clear about the purpose of speaking in tongues. It's for the person who's doing it. Uh, so we don't come together in the worship space and all start spouting off nonsense language because um, it distracts other people from being able to worship God well. We do that on our own, or we do that if there's an interpreter. Um, but I think maybe more helpfully for us, um, there is in this idea of speaking in tongues this concept of um, a, a spiritual connection to God that is not thoughtful or intellectual, which can be sometimes a good thing. Uh, an, an example for me, um, very often it's the case when we're singing a song that I knew really well, a hymn I've sung a hundred times, or maybe we're in contemporary uh, service and we're repeating a chorus over and over and over again, where in the midst of that, I can kind of sort of say the words and not think about the words anymore. And I can just be thinking about the presence of God and, and experiencing the presence of God while I'm singing a song I've sung a hundred times because I don't have to exercise thought about what the words mean or say. That's a kind of spiritual connection with God that's akin to what Paul's talking about. Um, another thing that I've done sometimes, I, I sometimes find it helpful to pray a prayer over and over and over and over again, not because I think God will hear me because I say it a lot, but because sometimes in so doing, I can um, sort of focus in on the presence of God without having to focus in on what I'm saying. So there are times where I'll say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'll just say it over and over and over again. And in doing that, it becomes almost kind of like a mantra, right, where I can focus on the presence of God and maybe not on impressing God with all the wise things I have to say. I think that idea of, of experiencing the presence of God in a way that doesn't require me to be deeply thoughtful sometimes can be really wonderful. I also think, as Paul says explicitly here, that often, uh, maybe most of the time, it's preferable to engage our brains in our worship, right? That in general, Paul says, I'd like you to be uh, thinking like adults and not like children, uh, that um, it is most productive if my spirit and my mind both pray together. Uh, and I will say um, that 
Uh, Paul's metaphor here about instruments is really helpful for me. So Paul says, I'm speaking in tongues in the church, and the sort of tons of angels that people can't understand is imagine um, why it's going to play trumpet for us later. Imagine why it came up and just blew into his trumpet and didn't play any notes, right? That's the speaking in tongues thing. It might be fun for Wyatt. Maybe it's an enjoyable process for him to warm up with. We don't enjoy that music very much. We'd rather have him come up and play music that we can recognize and understand. Uh, this is Paul's fundamental message in this passage um, to a community that is deeply invested in the speaking in tongues process, to a community that is deeply influenced by their Greco-Roman religions around them. Paul says, hey, this isn't bad. It's not bad to have a spiritual connection with God, but even better is to have a spiritual and intellectual connection with God. Even better is to speak in such a way that the people around you are blessed that the speaker and the listener, the Christian and the non-Christian can all be involved. And that's when he comes to this idea of prophecy. And so, I want to talk a little bit about prophecy this morning. And um, Paul, Paul says, or actually we are saying, that prophecy is as simple as speaking a message for God. Speaking a message for God. And, and prophecy comes in all forms in the story of the Bible. Sometimes uh, it is crazy, wild visions like the book of Revelation. But most of the time, even in the Bible, prophecy is pretty regular speech. Hey, I don't like that you're doing these things. Stop oppressing the poor and start caring for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner, right? I mean, it is often as simple and clear as that. Sometimes prophecy deals with the future, but not very often. It's the minority of prophecy in the Bible that talks about the future. Usually it is, this is what God wants you to know right now. This is what God wants the people to hear. And sometimes in the Bible, prophecy is the sort of spontaneous impulse of the Spirit. But often it's also the result of extensive study and prayerful preparation. So we think of prophecy as, oh, hey, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden, like I'm taken over and I have something to say. Um, but Luke, for example, describes the writing of his own gospel. Luke uh, obviously with the Gospel of Luke, he describes it as uh, a process of research and reflection and editing, right? He talks about writing the Gospel the way we think about writing a paper. He didn't do it automatically um, without any intellectual effort. It's an engagement of his mind and his spirit and his body. Even when we read weird things, even when we read Revelation, we've been reading through Revelation together on our daily devotionals, I am struck by how much the author of Revelation, John of Patmos, is steeped in the stories of the Bible. Uh, and as we read through that story, we see passage after passage after passage that he is referring to in the Old Testament, uh, that he's not simply saying, hey, I had this crazy vision. He's saying, I had this experience of God, but it is informed um, by a lifetime of study of Scripture. So, uh, this is hugely important for us. Um, I think, yes, sometimes, um, unusually, sometimes we get this sort of spontaneous God has a message for you out of the blue kind of prophecy. But more often we get this um, preparation and prayerful reflection and study kind of God speaking to us through one another. So, yeah, I think preaching sometimes can be a form of prophecy. But so can like having a conversation in a Bible study. And so can sharing a verse with a friend, if you're careful, uh, a verse with a friend who needs some encouragement. So can having a deep and meaningful conversation over coffee, right? All of these are ways that we 
equipped by the Spirit, can share a message from God with somebody else. So the question becomes, how do we tell what is prophecy and what is not? And this is super important. And Paul gives us the answer. In verse 29, Paul says, as the church meets, um, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is so incredibly important. Paul says, it's not the job of the prophet to tell you they're a prophet. It's not the job of the prophet to tell you um, that what they're giving to you is the word of the Lord. It's your job to discern that. It's your job as the people listening to say, hey, yeah, I think that's from God and that's not. By the way, this is how like the whole Bible got put together. The Bible didn't fall out of heaven as a finished document. The New Testament books were selected because the early church said, hey, you know what? We've been reading Matthew. Have you guys been reading Matthew? We really like Matthew. We feel like Matthew's inspired by the Holy Spirit. What do you think? Are you guys reading, are you guys reading Paul? We really like… And, and the church together decided, hey, we think these are words from God. These are messages from God for us. And, and sometimes, even in the story of Scripture, there are people who sometimes speak with authority from God who get it wrong, who get it wrong. And, and that's okay, and the church is called to assess that. Um, there's a, a great little story in Acts chapter 21 where Paul is heading to Jerusalem, and uh, as he's going, he's stopping and visiting some of his friends along the way. Uh, and uh, on the journey, he stops and lands at Tyr, which is just uh, north of uh, the land of Palestine. And Paul says, uh, Luke actually says, uh, we looked up the disciples and stayed there for seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What does Paul do? He goes on to Jerusalem, right? Um, Paul continues we're, we're told uh, a little bit later in that same chapter, they arrive in Caesarea and they go to the house of Philip, who's the, one of the seven deacons. Um, Philip has four unmarried daughters who have the gift of prophecy. By the way, and we had that weird thing about women before. That's interesting. Philip has four unmarried daughters who have the gift of prophecy. While we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and took Paul's belt bound his own feet and hands with it, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. What does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem. Right? Paul says, hey, I, I hear that you guys have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I know that in the past you've spoken prophecy, and um, I respect what you're saying, but I've got to decide for myself if it's from God or not. And I think God's calling me to go to Jerusalem. So despite your messages, I'm going to keep my journey. This really simple, really important idea, um, you are responsible to determine um, what is a message from the Lord and what is not. We got to have a whole sermon about how to do that. Um, we can't do that right now. Um, l- let me tell you, let me give you an example um, instead. Yesterday, Asher and I went to the Seahawks-Packers game, which was super fun. And as we left the stadium... Uh, as has happened almost every time I've been to Lambeau, there was somebody outside the stadium with a microphone and a bunch of speakers preaching about Jesus. And people are walking by this person, and um, significantly in front of us, uh, there's a, a group of men um, walking by this guy with a speaker, and the guy with the speaker's just talking about Jesus. And let me just say, I don't think that's super effective, right? In, in my reading of Scripture, the way Jesus' ministry usually works is people come to Him when they're excited to hear the gospel. He doesn't go 
berate people as they walk by. But in any case, um, this group of guys in front of me is walking by, and one of the gentlemen starts yelling at the guy in the microphone, right? The guy in the microphone's yelling at us, so he yells back. I get it. And I don't know what he says. He's too far in front of me to hear it. But the guy in the microphone doesn't like it. And they start a back and forth, right? Uh, and as this back and forth goes on, um, the, the guy in front of me just keeps right on walking. And I'm sure he's saying something disrespectful about Christianity, but I can't quite make it out. And then the guy in the microphone says, um, why don't you come back and let's have this conversation together? And I thought, oh, that's a nice way to handle it. And then he says, unless you're like a little girl and too afraid to come talk to me. Oh my gosh. And my first thought was, boy, I know some little girls that could argue you under the table. And my second thought was, well, you lost all credibility, right? Um, You don't sound like you're speaking for Jesus if you don't sound like you're speaking like Jesus, right? Uh, And so, boy, it was a moment where I thought, this doesn't seem like it's about God's glory. It seems like it's about yours. It doesn't seem like you're trying to build up the church or speaking in love. And it certainly doesn't seem like you're giving the people the opportunity to evaluate whether your words are from God or not. And so, uh, this, this simple but super important concept, um, we are called to evaluate the words of the prophets and determine if they're from God or not. Um, by the way, this brings us to the woman thing, briefly. Um, uh, oof, this also needs to be another whole sermon. Um, but in a nutshell, we have a weird comment um, by Paul that seems both out of place in this conversation and out of place in this letter. It seems out of place in this conversation because Paul's busily talking about prophecy, speaking it, and evaluating it. And it seems out of place in this letter because Paul has already given us instructions in chapter 11 about what sort of things women should wear on their heads when they are prophesying in church, right? So how can Paul now say women can't prophesy in church if earlier he said, when you prophesy in church, wear a hat? Uh, by the way, we also have passages like the one we had in Acts chapter 21 about the four daughters who have pr- the gift of prophecy. We have passages like Joel, we had in our call to worship that speak about women and men speaking in prophecy. So I think the best way to understand this really weird comment by Paul is that he is again speaking to this group of women in Corinth who are uh, wearing loose hair and activating loose sexual morality in the context of the service, who are uh, disrespecting their husbands and and perhaps even uh, suggesting that they are not married in the context of the service. And perhaps if we want to go really far, we might say Paul's concerned about those women exercising authority over their husbands, and that might be a way to read this passage. It is really difficult to read this passage and come away with the idea that Paul doesn't want women to speak in church. We've just had too many other passages from Paul and others saying that women can have those same gifts too. Uh, And this is, I think, Paul's fundamental point that we are to strive for these gifts, women and men. We are to strive for the gifts of particularly speaking on God's behalf. And by the way, that's really hard. Uh, And I can trust that there are people um, whose gifts I will never share. I 
I am very blessed to get to speak on Sunday mornings. I'm never going to be a Tim Keller or a Rick Warren. And Tim Keller and Rick Warren are these amazing preachers, but they're never going to be a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an amazing man, but he's never going to be the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah was awesome, but he's never going to be Moses, right? And Moses is pretty great, but Jesus hasn't beat by a mile, right? And, and the point is, um, my goal isn't to be Moses or Isaiah or Dr. King. My goal is just to be Jim. Your goal is just to be you and to see if there might be a way in our lives that we can speak a message for God into the lives of people around us. And by the way, this comes from being steeped in Scripture. By the way, this comes from um, a, 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 an active prayer life where we ask God to be involved in our conversations. Every time I ever sit down to write a sermon, I have the same conversation with God. I say, God, I would really like you to get Jim Gates out of the way so Jesus Christ can shine through. I got a lot of bad ideas. Please don't let me say any of those on stage. I would really, really appreciate it if just you uh, got the highlights and just you got the credit. And by the way, um, I say those prayers in other situations too. Um, I often say those prayers when I'm getting on the phone to have a difficult conversation with somebody. When somebody's coming to meet with me in the office and I know they're going through a rough time, um, Sometimes in the middle of a conversation, I realize, oh, I'm in over my head on this one. And Lord, would you please get Jim Gates out of the way so Jesus Christ can shine through? And that's a prayer that we can all pray all the time. And if we're steeped in Scripture, and if we're asking Christ to be actively involved through the Holy Spirit in our conversations, uh, and if we engage in some thoughtful preparation when appropriate, maybe don't pick a random Bible verse and sign it a hundred times. Uh, then we might have that privilege of speaking a message for God to the world. Uh, one last thing that worries me, and then um, a couple things that excite me. One thing that worries me, um, I get worried when people say, the Lord told me to say to you, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I get nervous about that because I think it's my job to evaluate when you speak to me if it's from the Lord or not. And so I try really hard not to use that language with people. I might say, boy, maybe the Lord might be saying something like this. This seems relevant in your life. But then it's your job to evaluate whether it's the Lord or whether it's Jim Gates. Right? So I really want to encourage you when you're trying to speak a message for God, don't give yourself authority that you don't have. Right? Let the other person determine if what you're saying has the ring of truth in it for them. And, and um, so, a couple of fun things for me. Um, all the time, I have the privilege of people after worship saying really kind things, and sometimes they'll say, boy, Jim, I felt like you're really talking to me, and I, I'm so grateful when the Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes I've had conversations where people have said after worship, Jim, you said this thing, this particular sentence, and they'll repeat it to me. They'll say, that was so incredibly impactful for me. I'm so thankful you said that. Thank you so much. And I'll say, praise God. You're welcome. And I'll walk away and I'll say, I have never said that sentence in my life. Right? I, I can't tell you how often it happens. And I think that's got to be God, right? I'm, I've even gone back and listened to the recording of the sermon to make sure I didn't say it. Sometimes you know, we are doing our best to speak for God, and then God makes it more clear than we ever could, right? Sometimes God's like, hey, Jim tried, <laughs> but what you really wanted to hear was this. And so let me tell you this, right? This is what you really needed to hear. And, and the gift of that, the gift of recognizing that we get to speak for God to people is immense. And this is why Paul says it's a gift we should strive for, because we are blessed when we do it, and the world is blessed around us. Um, this is not about microphones and stages, okay? I, I have friends in the church, a, a couple, a, a husband and wife, 
and uh, they have the gift of prophecy. I don't know if they know it or would articulate it this way. They have the gift of prophecy, and here's how I know. Um, because a few years ago, um, my friend Ruth Renicky, who's 102 uh, and is on hospice care but seems to be still doing great, um, Ruth Renicky was no longer able to keep coming to worship. And when she stopped being able to come to worship, uh, this couple started calling her every week. They've been doing it for, I don't know, a couple of years at least. Every single Tuesday, they call her. Every single Tuesday, they call her and they put her on speakerphone, and then they sing to her. They sing worship songs to her so she's not left out of worship. And then they say prayers with her, and they share Scripture with her, uh, and they just bring the church into her home. And since she's been in hospice care, they are literally showing up in her room. Um, He brings a little keyboard, and they just do worship right there. And I got to tell you, that is the gift of prophecy. That is the gift of speaking God's message to the people who need to hear it. And it doesn't require a microphone or an MDiv or the ability to speak in Greek. It just requires a desire to communicate the goodness and the love and the grace of God to the people around us. This is why Paul says, not to the pastors, not to the theologians, not to the evangelists, not to the people with amazing supernatural gifts, but to every Christian in the church, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, because God has a message for you to share with the world about His love and His grace, and there are people for whom only you will share it. Strive for the greater spiritual gifts, and be God's voice in the world. Thanks be to Him.